Welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizlet on the Twitters. And I'm Ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. And we come to you from our various locations in just like prime physical condition. We are ready to do this. We are ready to talk about television so, so much. Right, yeah. I, I definitely wasn't in a bicycle accident that led to a hospital stay, and Liz is just on her game because she's been on her game all weekend. Yeah, uh, yeah, I certainly uh, got to, I, I actually had a very nice trip to New Mexico this weekend uh, to visit the set of Manhattan. You may have, may have noticed like 54 other of your favorite online vi- o- online uh, television people talking about the same trip because it was a big one. There were a lot of people there, but it was an exciting time to get to get out of town, see what uh, WGN America's uh, little little period dramas putting together. And then it was super fun when, uh, because Los Angeles was basically about to fall into the ocean last night. They canceled my flight. And so I've been awake for about 12 hours now, and it's 12, uh, 12 p.m. here in California. So we're, what we're saying is... Not, you've been warned. You've been warned. This could go in an interesting place, especially because we're talking about a show... Our focus today is something that is not a show that is lends itself that it's a show that lends itself to excess and you know extremes, shall we say? Oh, absolutely! It's I mean to to spoil the to spoil the game here. It's BoJack Horseman, which we're talking about, and it's a show that honestly I've had a difficult time wrapping a, a cogent thought around since it first began. I mean, it's very original. It's very different. Uh, but it actually absolutely does go to a lot of different extremes that you may not expect, which kind of makes it hard to label, not to mention the cross-genre elements of it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, season two just premiered, so uh, we've got some things to discuss. Yeah, both Ben and I have seen season two, for the record, which means this is now a spoiler zone. We are going to be discussing the series as a whole. You should, if you are averse to spoilers, or you should, or if you... Uh, if you're adverse to spoilers, then and you don't, you should probably turn off now. Sorry about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you'll you can you can fast forward to the end and get work backwards if you're desperate for our next thing, best thing picks or, or any other random bits of wisdom. But uh, for the most part, we'll be digging pretty hard into BoJack Horseman season two. Yes, and awesome. uh, thank you for listening for the two minutes that you gave us. That was really nice of you. <laughs> you learned so much. About our current physical and mental states. I mean, that's why people listen. It's for it's it's for it's for knowing about our lives, not our thoughts about television. Absolutely, and uh, just to you know, not give them what they want, Liz. Why you wrote the review on BoJack Horseman season two? So you've been it's been sitting with you a little bit longer. You've had a chance to even revisit it a few times, I think. Uh, so why don't you just start with your general reaction to uh, to the show as a whole? Well, that's a great way of doing this. Uh, I mean, when I, 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 you know, if you check the review, I gave it a day minus. This is a review I wrote after binge viewing the entire first season uh, within a pretty short period of time. And it's still, I mean, and yes, having sat with it still, I, I stand by it. Uh, I stand, and even though, you know, as Ben and I discuss it, I think you're gonna, we're, we're going to hit some points where I might be agreeing with Ben about some of the things that maybe didn't work. 
But the thing I find with BoJack Horseman, and the thing that's made it really stick with me as a show, whereas a lot of other animated comedies kind of fade, is that it's a show that's not afraid to be... It's not. It's, a, it's an animated comedy that's not afraid to make me cry. And I cried a couple of times over the course of the second season, I'm not going to lie. And the, there's, the, thing, it, the, the thing about the show is that it's so... It's so unapologetic about the fact that its characters are, you know, in the middle of these kind of life crisis moments and not even necessarily crisis moments, just general ennui at some points. And that fact is getting, you know, getting that level of depth, you know, is why Bojack sticks with me in a way that say, I mean, Archer is a show I love. I enjoy the hell out of Archer. And I actually even really connect with a lot of, I I feel like those characters have built up nice relationships that kind of play out well, um, that, that play out well and have resonance for me, but it's, it's not the same thing. Yeah, no, they're, they're very different shows for as, uh, similar a crowd. I think they might attract. Um, but before we get too far away from it, you mentioned this, to me at least once before that you cried uh, during the second season and I can definitely imagine a few times where that could have happened but I'm curious like you want to know when I cried uh, since we're spoiling we might as well yeah like, um I will say two points that really hit me hard okay three I will say three things um <laughs> I believe uh, I don't know if I cried if this is a really great way to do a review is what what parts made you cry Liz um <laughs> But I can remember them. Uh, so I believe the, the the line from Bojack's mom about you were born broken hit me pretty hard. Because yeah. that's, that's just brutal. Um, the ending of episode three hit me pretty hard. I think, and I don't know what it is really, but about the, it, it, this because this, this is something also from season one, that this was the factor that made me really appreciate season one on a new level, is uh, the relationship between Bojack and his old friend Herb who, uh, you know, was the, if you recall, was the creator of the original uh, Horse and Around until, and, until he got fired and Bojack let it happen and it was this massive betrayal. So episode three ends with this, oh my gosh, I got just a little teary just then. It ends with this flashback to, you know, Herb and Bojack, they've just taped the pilot and, you know, the future is rosy and it, you know, hits you. Like, it's just, it's because it, it is a moment, it is a moment of nostalgia that's you know, made even more affecting by the fact that you know what happens next with those characters. Um, and something it's, and maybe, maybe it's something down to the voice acting. Like maybe it's just something down to the way that the, these two characters are really vulnerable with each other, I think. But something about that got me. And uh, gosh, what was the other one? Uh, oh, uh, the episode of uh, the episode where Bojack, uh, the, the end of the, the end of episode nine, uh, when Bojack finally has his breakthrough and finally cries, and then and then Kelsey gets and Kelsey the director gets fired, like that one two punch got me as well. Those are all very good, very well, very sad examples. Very good examples of of times when I could definitely see people losing it. I, I never I never reached the point of of tears, and I'm definitely somebody who cries. You're not, you're not an easy cry. I don't know about that, Liz. I mean, I was, I was going to say earlier when you mentioned how this is the best way to review things by saying when we cried during them. It's exactly how I reviewed Interstellar. I just keep telling people, well, there were three times in Interstellar when I just wept like a baby. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I guess with BoJack, 
and getting into kind of the the faults that I had with it. And I, I very much appreciated it. I thought the first season was brilliant. Uh, I, I remember, I've gone over this a few times, I, I wrote my initial review after just seeing six episodes, and it felt kind of um, lesser than after seeing the whole series. And once you see the whole series, you have a new appreciation for those earlier episodes. They kind of just change on you. Uh, so I was ready for a similar kind of experience in season two, but season two felt far too episodic for me. It just felt very disjointed and disconnected and, and none of the serial aspects that really carried me through the first season, none of those through storylines stuck with me long enough to give me enough of a reaction. And I guess what was interesting to me about it, and it's definitely something that I want to reapproach, uh, is that it almost played out like someone who was depressed and didn't know why was writing it and creating it and walking Bojack through these stages and just giving him different triggers to find different things in his head that, that might reflect the problem or one of the problems or, or you know, multiple problems um, because it just, it just none of it really stuck together as, as thoroughly as the first season did. No, I think that's, I mean, that that is a fair point. When you first brought this up to me earlier, uh, I was like, yeah, I see your point there. And I think the reason for it is if you were to sit down and you were to take each individual, each main character, and you were to write out write down what happened to them over the course of the season, uh, it would all seem like it made sense and was coherent, you know, you know. Uh, Todd, Todd, in a search for purpose, finds gets gets looped into you know improv, which is the cult. It is not it is not Scientology, and Scientology is not a cult. Improv is a cult, <laughs> which is still such a great runner, um, especially when you get on the boat. Oh yeah, the boat was a huge part of making that whole thing work. That was fantastic. Yeah, uh, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about those sorts of jokes and references, uh, but. You, you, I can tell you that 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 arc, and it sounds like something that would track nicely of, over the course of the season. But it was it really came in by fits and spurts, uh, and mostly because you know Todd would kind of drop out. I feel like there was a lack of character balance across episodes, which is maybe exactly the same thing you're saying, but from a different point of view. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, like you're talking about, Todd would you know sometimes disappear. Uh, Wanda, Lisa Kudrow's owl character that, you know, is, is brought up very early in the episode and becomes a huge part of Bojack's life by moving in with him kind of would fade in and out, and I didn't feel like she had a very strong ending slash, like, kind of later half of the season, and I wanted to see more of her, so that became somewhat of a problem. Uh, but yeah, that, that's definitely a big aspect of kind of that episodic nature where they shift focus and, and it wasn't quite like last season where they gave princess carolyn her whole episode and that was kind of a, a nice little gift we didn't weren't they weren't trying to break it up like that it seemed more like they were just playing with different ideas that could fit within this short time period that they were chronicling throughout the season yeah i mean if you want to if you want to point to a breakout episode of the season uh i guess the the obvious answer is the first you know we see the the taping of the first uh first oh god what's the name of the show horsing around what did no you no uh the oh, episode uh, episode eight uh i don't hey celebrities <laughs> celebrities what do they know do they know stuff let's find out 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's my best approximation. I apologize for not getting it right. You're probably like six words short because the title is just endless, and obviously they had been playing with that, but, but that's pretty solid. Yes, uh, it's my best approximation. But that, but then, you know, like doing that kind of as a microcosm of the show, I think that kind of fit into this, it fit into the, se- the season structure in the same way that the Princess Carolyn episode did. But with that said, uh, it didn't really add a lot to character development beyond Mr. Peanut Butter, really. And, you know, and that's actually nice. One of the, I think Mr. Peanut Butter is probably the character who had the strongest arc of this season compared to him last season. Uh, he gets a little, a, a lot, some more meat to play with, more bone to chew on, if you will. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very clever. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating problem because on the one hand, like so much of the show does did really work for me, but there were parts where I felt like we were going in a weird direction, and I also feel like all you know the the New Mexico arc. I I, I allude to this in my review that the, the, there's some odd decisions and odd paths that we go down over the course of the show, and the big thing for me is everything that happens with Charlotte and. Uh, Charlotte is Charlotte is uh, Olivia Wilde, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah Char- Charlotte and Charlotte's family in New Mexico, and I'm not even just talking about the stuff with the daughter because that was kind of len- le- leading in that direction pretty clearly. But just, I don't know if it played as an example of you know really pushing the character towards what was going to happen next. Yeah, I, I, a lot of that didn't work for me just because I didn't feel like they ever addressed what he wanted to address by going there. And I realized he got distracted and they used, he used that distraction to you know, keep himself on a, on a kind of straight and arrow on the upswing, you know, without actually addressing anything in reality. But I, they teased her character so much as not necessarily the missing piece, definitely not the person that he was meant to be with, but somebody who would hold some answers for him that I didn't feel like the way they explored that was a great way to pay it off. And obviously it's something that they could return to down the line, but as far as this season goes and and as it was presented from last season, it just left a little bit to be desired. And yeah, that that daughter storyline also just kind of felt like a waste to me because it was something we'd already addressed. It was was an idea. You know, Bojack's stunted growth was was literally brought up earlier this season. It was uh, explored in the first season. So, yeah. Yeah, there's that great bit in, I forget which episode, but it's one of the earlier ones with Lisa Kudrow. If you, how, do you, how, how, would you, how do you pronounce it, Ben? Yeah, Kudrow is pretty good. Kud- yes, that's, that, that, that pun comes courtesy, to you, courtesy of one Ben Travers. Uh, I cannot claim credit for it. It plays better when in the written form. So Yes. Uh, <laughs> we'll put it. We'll put it in the notes so you know what we're saying. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, yeah. And uh, Kelsey, the director, who is a character I find myself mentioning more than I expected, but she is actually a really interesting one, I think. Yeah. Um, and but you know, she's like saying that you, you you basically stop aging when you become famous or when you get married, and. That is, I mean, yeah, so, like, that stunted growth element was planted early and strongly, but, yeah, it's weird. Well, it was, and it was, it, when it was planted, they mentioned how, of course, those two would be getting along. She's, you know, been in a coma for 30 years, so she has a, 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 like a 
her own arrested development issues. Exactly. So, so yeah, I, I felt like if they were going to go after that issue, they could have done it in, like, in a different way or a way more relevant to his life in Los Angeles, especially given the culture of Los Angeles. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, the ending of the season bothered me far more than anything else. But, uh, but you're right. I mean, what's really interesting about it, and I completely agree with you about the director character, about Mr. Peanut Butter, who you know, is just cast in a, a whole new light this year, really, like as opposed to just being the, the opposite of BoJack in a lot of ways, where he's just unrelentingly happy and, and full of good fortune. He's met with a few trying times, and he's called to you know, deal with some dramatic issues, and his relationship with Diane is fleshed out in a really interesting way. Um, but I think one of the most interesting things about the season is something that you wanted to get into, uh, specifically in regards to, I don't remember the character name. It's the Cosby stuff, but I can't uh, remember. The, uh, it's, oh, uh, hip, the hippo, uh, oh. hey, uh, uncle Hanky, uh, Hank, uncle, uh, yeah. uh, Hank the hippopotamus, which I mean, I, I felt like at the, at one, on one hand, it fit very well in with the construction of the show as it had been so far because it's a very, it's, I mean, it's an edgy show. It always has been, and it's always willing to address very, you know, topical, touchy issues. Uh, it also, like the format of it, the way that they, you know, brought back Keith Olbermann's uh, whale character uh, to, you know, go over with the news and uh, to kind of use that scroll for more jokes at the bottom for the background jokes. Uh, like, all of that worked out really well. And then on the other hand, it was almost distracting because you knew exactly what they were talking about. And it, I didn't feel like it held a ton of relevancy to Bojack specifically. It may have held some for Diane, but I didn't feel like it was very well clarified, maybe. Or maybe I just missed, like, a, a key chunk of, of why bringing in such a big issue like that, such a well-known and popular issue like Cosby would would help this story kind of stand on its own. But uh, I don't know. It was a fascinating idea for them to explore. Yeah, and I think the the, the reason I wanted, the, you know, the thing we would we debated before starting to record this podcast was, you know, without knowing specifically where this falls into the timeline of, you know, where, where, where they were in production when the Cosby allegations really started coming out. It's, it's you know, it's an important question uh, because... But I, the thing, the thing I mentioned was that, I mean, the, the 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 crazy thing about Cosby is that people have been saying for since like 2006, hey, BT Dubs, this guy has a super sketchy history, and it's just the way it's been able to be consistently. Uh, um, I mean, I think honestly, my guess would be that if that if if they had been in production just slightly later. Uh, like it, it would have played differently because what what the episode captures so nicely, and we're talking about, of course, the the allegations that beloved beloved talk show host Hank Hippopopoulos uh, was sexually abusive of um, in a very vague way. They never explain it, but yeah, they never really say what he does. It's just so strongly implied by you know very uh, time well timed cutoffs of sentences or you know changing the channel or someone being stopped before they actually say what he did. But yeah, I mean, sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, that's, no, it's fine. Uh, but yeah, so it's, I think it would have played differently because the thing is the way it's portrayed in the episode is the way it's, the, it's the way that Cosby's been treated up until November of last year where people will say, but seriously, we need to have a conversation about this. And 
oftentimes a woman will get shut down. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, uh, there's definitely a lot of relevance to that. I and mean, even if you extend it outside of Cosby, which I feel like even if they hadn't have gone so specifically towards him, it may have played even better, you know, like as a, as a more lasting. Well, uh, I mean, there were allegations, you know, David Letterman has, uh, has a bit of a reputation. Oh, sure. Yeah, no, there's a ton of them. And that's why I guess it, maybe, maybe it was simply because of the timing and what's going on right now. I mean, this weekend there, there was the whole new deposition that was released by the New York Times, which exposed, exposed a lot more of exactly what Cosby had done and what he said he'd done, you know, for years now. Um, so maybe it was more in my head and I, Put that you know onto the show, and they were trying to use uh, use this character as more of an embodiment of more people than just Cosby. But it's it screamed Cosby to me, and I didn't want it to be so particular. I wanted it to be broader and make it more of a like a, I guess a bigger statement than than what it came off as. I, yeah, I understand. I think I think it, honestly, if 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 it hadn't been so tied to Cosby, it probably would have played that way. But I mean, who knows how perceptions work. Who knows where thoughts come from? They just appear. Um, <laughs> and we'll definitely be hearing uh, plenty of them from uh, the very passionate BoJack fans. I know, I mean, our own Zach Scharf will definitely have some opinions on this that I'm sure he'll write to us as soon as he listens to this episode, if not before. Uh, and definitely the, the fandom around BoJack will have their own interpretations of the season. And there's so much to dig into. There's so much content that, I mean, even though, like, you've seen this, I mean, you've seen it all the way through once, and then you've been picking out a few other episodes to go back and check out, right? Yeah, I've been, I, well, more like I've been re-binge-viewing my way through it. <laughs> um, so I actually, I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I mean, it's, they're, they're not long, and I've been up for, as I mentioned, like, 12 hours or something, so, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and so so, but I am picking up new like uh, there is that you know the okay so the episode where where Todd gets Todd gets mysteriously abducted by the Prince of Cor- Cordovia. Oh yeah, yeah and out of nowhere. It doesn't because they planted it in episode four. In oh, episode like four, he yeah. says. You know, people say I look like a lot of people, like uh, I think it's like Sherry Shepherd or the Prince of Cordovia. Yeah. And yeah. then and then uh, the Prince of Cordovia shows up and you're like, oh, okay. That's I don't know. See, this is one of the things that I, I think I just disagree with people on maybe a, a fundamental level about the binge culture because you could make that argument that because it was introduced, you know, however many episodes ago and this isn't a sh- this isn't a series that's as divided, you know, week by week that you don't have to make it like a more substantial reference or you don't have to set up what's about to happen with more of a precursor than that. But for me, I, I mean, it just didn't, it didn't smoothly transition there. And the abruptness of that revelation or action didn't play that well for me as a joke. It made me want to stop and go back and think, did I just fall asleep while I was watching this? Did I miss something? I, it felt jerky. No, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I picked up that reference in episode four only after only during my second viewing. And I mean, the thing about this show that's really delightful is the fact that it much like say 30 rock, there are jokes we're going to be unpacking for months to come. Um, and that's one of its, that's one of its, that's one of its great strengths is, is that element. Well, that was the best part for me. Well, not the best part. That was one of the stronger elements of the first season because you could go, when you went back to rewatch it, you would find so many 
more things to appreciate about it, but they didn't they didn't seem as contingent on the story working in the end. Like they didn't seem as relevant to what was going on in the in the A or B plot of the episode to make you appreciate like to keep you going with that story. It was more like, oh my gosh, I remember this already. Now I'm looking in the background a little bit more. I'm I'm like identifying different characters or different uh, like little actions that pop up or phrases or something, and, and it really helped it out. This almost felt like maybe an overload. I mean, maybe it was just maybe I, it's just one of those things that they threw even more into in the second season, and I've just got to watch two or three times. Yeah, but I want to go to uh, I want to compare. I want to get your reaction to comparing, say, you know, two very uh, two relatively topical topics relatively um but uh you know taking comparing the the cosby riff if you will to these the improv is a cult riff um because that's a because i feel like that's a good example of another joke of another of another runner of jokes that is subtly done enough that if you, I mean, because essentially the, the big thing with that is if you've seen Going Clear, if you've read much about, if you've read much about Scientology, you know that the, the whole inspiration behind the Giggle Cruise is that, is the Scientology Sea Org, which signs away where, you know, Scientologists who misbehave get signed away into basically indentured servitude. Yeah, which was, again, the, like, as soon as they started talking about the cruise and going on the cruise. I don't even remember the phrasing. There was a line where they talked about where Todd would be living and like being in the hole of the ship or something like that. And I was like, oh my god, I'm having these terrible flashbacks to when I read, you know, Lawrence Wright's Going Clear. It, I mean, it, it worked so well. It was just very yeah. much a, 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 <laughs> a directly topical uh, discussion point that they didn't make any you know, ifs, ands, or buts about what they were skewering. Uh, but it was, I mean, it also worked in the body of the story and it lasted long. Like I felt like it was integrated, you know, towards the middle of the season, maybe I'm forgetting this, but towards the middle of the season and was extended all the way until the end Mm -hmm. and that helped add relevancy as well as spread out some of the humor that, that was surrounding it, like the the satirical stuff. I think it's an arc that lasts about, for, for Todd, it's an arc that lasts about four or so episodes and that's include, but it, I'm including, it's like, that's a chronological time frame. It includes the fact that there's a whole episode where it's just Bojack in New Mexico. Um, yeah. which is another thing that kind of does throw off the rhythm of the show. I think is, you know, yeah. we, we, and I, I like it for the stakes, like, you know, because it is, you know, the fact that he, the fact that Bojack abandons the movie and, completely and just runs off to New Mexico like that's a pretty pretty strong dramatic plot point it's just uh you know it does the one thing is that you know one of the best parts of Bojack is that it has become more of an ensemble piece and that that affected the show's structure I think in a lot of respects yeah and it's I mean especially with animation there's a lot of options I mean there's just a lot of different ways you can go with these stories and these characters and I guess my biggest concern after watching season two, just the one time, uh, is that I'm more concerned it's going to go off the rails even more in the future. I'd like to see it honed down and kept to that specific linear structure that was so effective in the first season. Uh, I'd like to see more of that because I feel like that's a better delivery of their very deep, very dark, 
content, like their 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 existential discussions, their yeah, those yeah. kind of talking points. I feel like that works a lot better as the delivery for that. Whereas some of this other stuff that we're able to appreciate that seem a little zanier, a little more off the wall, can be surrounding that very focused serialized core. Um, I don't. I want to. I want to do a quick rundown of everything that I that's worth saying is amazing about this show. For one thing, the guest, the voice cast, both you know the fact that Scott Wolf really does the voice of Scott Wolf, to yeah. the fact they have like I mean it was great. It was funny watching the Emmy nominations that morning. Like if you look at a couple of twit, you know, like you look at the show's creator, creator's Twitter feed. He's like, congratulations to eight people on your Emmy nominations. Completely coincidentally, BoJack Horseman season two tomorrow. <laughs> because like eight different people in that cast were nominated for Emmys on Thursday. Hey, they deserve it. I mean, you're not, you're, I'm glad you brought it back up because you mentioned it briefly earlier. And uh, Will Arnett's performance in this in particular is, perhaps the best acting he's ever done. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love Dobb slash Job as much as the next guy, but this is some some layered stuff. I don't know I don't know how else to describe it. It's very, very compelling work. No, it is. And, you know, so, like, not only do you have just, like, quality actors across the board, but then they, they even, like, the crazy stunt casting is mind-blowing. Uh, you know, freaking Paul McCartney. Oh, Yeah. Like, yeah. makes a cameo as himself. And it's a funny cameo, too. And I mean, it's this... hard to predict which one of those are actually going to be the real people. Sometimes, like with McCartney, you could pretty much tell that sounded exactly like Paul McCartney. And he's got a very distinct voice, obviously. But, uh, I mean, some of the later episodes, Lance Bass does, like, this, you know, two line cameo where he's literally a bass fish, of course, playing the game show. Which and is, it is wonderful. Lance Bass. But there's like a few other, you know, celebrity cameos where you think, oh, is that them? And then, you know, the, the, the credits roll at the end and it's not. Or it is. And it's it's kind of fun to wait and see whose voice that was and whose voice that wasn't, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, uh, Quentin Tarant Tarantino is not voiced by Quentin Tarantino. No. Um, I'm looking at a list right now. Uh, you know, uh, what was another one? Daniel Radcliffe does play himself, which is Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, but I am very disappointed. I, I This has been a mystery that's haunted me ever since I watched it for the first time, which is who plays Andrew Garfield. And according to Wikipedia, which is never wrong, uh, <laughs> uh, Andrew Garfield was voiced by Paul F. Tompkins. So, yeah. good work, Paul F. Tompkins. You're a fine human being, and I'm not just saying that because you tweeted out the review that I wrote last week, but, you know... I was kind of hoping it was actually Andrew Garfield. Yeah, I mean, me too. But and, and it's got to just be one of those. I wonder. I don't know how they. I, I'd be interested to know the process of coming up with each of the celebrity cameos. Like if they, they they have to come up with a story and like the cameo and and that person before they reach out to actually get them. So mm -hmm. that's I don't know. It's <laughs> I mean, it's I'm a fun aspect of it. I'm sure there. I mean, for you know, a lot of times with, with, with the way these work is. You know, you come up with you come up with the ideal, and then when that person says no, you re reconfigure. Um, I remember there was there's like a this is a very random example, but there was a show by the creator of Ed a couple several years back, and the original draft of it was entitled "Let's Rob Jeff Goldblum," and it was about these guys who were going to rob Jeff Goldblum's house uh, because Jeff Goldblum was a lot of money. Why not? Uh, they it's like it was like a you know you know, blue collar guys on down on their luck comedy. It was, it had, it had a lot of charm to it. 
um, eventually got renamed Knights Prosperity. And instead of robbing Jeff Goldblum, because presumably Jeff Goldblum said no, the new, the, the, the final version, I believe, has them robbing Mick Jagger. I'd have to double check that. But it's like, it became like a rock star instead of, it, maybe Steven Tyler? It's some rock star. But yeah, so, it, but, you know, that's, that, you know, in general, that's the way it works. You try to get the person you want, uh, and then you work your way down. Yeah, and then, I mean, with, with you know, somebody like Andrew Garfield, I can't imagine he's that much harder to get than, you know, Paul McCartney or somebody like that. But at the same time, if he's just not available, the joke that they used him for in that first season is too good to write out and replace oh, someone, so. It really, <laughs> look, he just hates Mondays and loves lasagna. What's the big yep. deal? <laughs> yep. Oh, man. And then, of course, shout out to character actress Mar- Margot Martindale, who is my everything. Yes, Liz's absolute favorite, I think it's safe to say, is character actress Margot Martindale. I just love that she's a criminal mastermind, and she shows up, and, oh, God, her, like, when she comes out of prison, she's like, Bojack, I've been out of prison for two minutes. Where you been? Yeah. The, the, and she's the, holding her Golden Globe, or her Emmy, is her Emmy. Oh, God, so the, good. The lead-in for her was... Well deserved and well utilized. I give him credit. She, oh God, I love. I, I just, I just need to know she's coming back. That's just all I need to know. Yeah, I, I don't know how she couldn't. She, she seems to be almost as close as you can get to being a series regular without appearing in every episode. So she's only in one episode this season. It's really a disappointment. I, that's actually why I gave it an A minus instead of an A. That was like, <laughs> it's like that was that was my only problem was not enough character actress Margot Martindale. Yeah, exactly. That's why I haven't given any A grades to True Detective Season 2 yet, because Rachel McAdams isn't cutting anybody up with those knives. Now, does she hold the knives, or is she just... Are, the, are there knives at all on screen? Because I know you're very excited for the knives, but we haven't seen them yet. Well, I mean, it was it started with the trailers, where there's just a really good scene of her... Stabbing something. Stabbing something good. Uh, but yeah, there's been, there's been plenty of moments, especially in the Episode 4 shootout, uh, where I was expecting her to bust out the knife, and she did. She pulled out the knife in episode four, and she was waiting behind a car for like, somebody to show up and then go at it. And I was sitting there at the edge of my seat, and nothing happened. And then I don't even think it popped up in episode five, so that's why that got the worst grade I've given out yet. So uh, anyway, this is getting a little off topic, but I understand where you're coming from, Liz. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, but, I mean, it's it's a fascinating show, and I, what I'm really curious about is what kind of fan base it really has. Like, I mean, you know, as we, as we joked at the beginning of this, you know, you're, if you didn't watch all of the season, you probably haven't listened this far. And so write us if you have listened to, if, if you have listened this far and you have watched the full second season, tell us what you think. And we'll actually make sure to remember to include those responses because I am curious to see what kind of audience the show really has. Cause we, this is, this is the best way we have of gauging cause Netflix won't tell us numbers. Yeah, absolutely, which is incredibly frustrating on the one hand, but it is fun to kind of hear how differently people watch this kind of thing. Like, Not only uh, am I curious to know how many people have seen BoJack Horseman season one all the way through as well as season two, but you know who watched it all this weekend? Who, was, who loved it enough to really just sit there and get through those ten episodes no matter what? And it's not the longest show. It's, you know, it's less than five hours, but, but still, it takes a bit of a commitment. And that's something that they depend on to some degree. So 
Uh, it, it's a very interesting aspect of the show. I, I, so please do write in. We're all yeah. we're just we're curious little nerds over here. You got to yes, feed yeah. us sometimes. Liz at IndieWire.com, Ben at IndieWire.com. Again, that's Liz at IndieWire.com, Ben at IndieWire.com. And uh, I'll, I'll, I mean, I'm going to rat out uh, our own Zach Scharf for he's only seen through episode seven. Oh, he must have had he must have had some sort of crisis this weekend. Then I mean, I he might be under the age of thirty and have a social life. I don't know. I don't want to. I'm not going to throw judgments at things. No, oh, I don't buy it. He's he's loved the show more than anybody I've ever met or talked to, and I've met a lot of people who love the show. I, I'm shocked. Shocked. <laughs> I wouldn't have bet money that I finished it before he did. Yeah, I mean, I guess you just love it a little bit more than he does. Oh, I mean, obviously that's the case. <laughs> so, I think it's time. It's time to try to segue to wrapping things up. And we've, as of course, we're gonna, and as always, of course, we're gonna do that with our best thing next thing. So, Ben, what's the best thing you watched last week? Uh, the best thing I watched last week is actually a little bit of catch-up work. Um, as mentioned just a few moments ago, I'm pretty busy on Sunday nights both watching and writing True Detective uh, episode reviews. But I finally caught up with the HBO series The Brink, and um, I don't really know what to think of it. I, 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 I like it. I would recommend it. I wouldn't strongly recommend it, but there's a lot of interesting structural, structural elements at play, and I think Tim Robbins is doing a terrific job in his role, and it's it's kind of surprised me on a few turns. The writing is very sharp. It's very clever. It's very focused. They know exactly what story they want to tell. Um, it's it's worth checking out, and it's not a show that's getting a lot of buzz right now. It's not one that people are talking about or the ratings are huge for. I'll be interested to see if they renew it, you know, by the end of the season or before whenever. But uh, but I I've seen five episodes now. They're solid. Uh, solid entertainment. They definitely pair well with uh, anybody who's missing Veep desperately. It's definitely not to that degree of brilliance, but uh, but that kind of political thriller aspect, political thriller comedy is uh, is worth checking out. It's, I mean, it's a different kind of show. I think like uh, you know, Veep is very much straight down the political lane, where The Brink really wants to be more political, more have real danger and stakes to what's going on. Not that the doesn't have those things, but it's not the emphasis, you know, the, the, the big, the big reference point for the brink has always been, uh, Dr. Strangelove and that movie has kind of a dark ending. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I, I need, I, I've been meaning to write about the brink for a little while now, actually, because I find it really interesting. And I also find it really interesting that we aren't talking about it so much. Um, especially it's like, especially it's cause it's got some, it's got so many heavy, heavy hitters in play. Uh, you know, that's, that's, you know, Jack Black and Tim Robbins being in a TV show together alone should be attracting more attention. And then even the supporting cast is stellar. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how it shakes out. Yeah. And just to be clear, you're, you're completely right in the way you describe the difference between Veep and, and the Brink. Veep is very much focused on its satire of these people and, and mocking these individuals. Whereas the Brink is definitely more story-driven and dependent on the thriller aspects of it, where it just kind of has a little bit of a dark, fun edge to it. Which, yeah, Dr. Strangelove is a good comparison. Again, no one's saying it's that level of, of you know, intellectual entertainment, but it's definitely worth exploring. Yeah. 
So what about you, Liz? What do you got on your end? What's the best thing you saw this week? Oh, man. This is, it's a bit of a cheat because, I mean, really, BoJack was a really powerful viewing experience for me, if that wasn't clear. But I'm, but we just spent a lot of time talking about it, so I'm going to go with something else uh, that we never really wrote about, but it's kind of part of a larger conversation I'm looking to, I'm, I'm starting to dig into regarding kind of the current state of late night television and what's, what's, what's evolving. And so my, the best thing I saw last week was Paul Rudd appearing on Conan O'Brien's show for, and for like the 30th time in a row, promising to show a clip from his new movie and instead showing the same clip from the terrible E.T. ripoff film from the eighties, Mac and me. And it's one of those jokes. It, it's just like, it's all built on, reaction it's 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 such a good joke and it's uh, i like a running joke that you will that gets beaten into the ground and then somehow is miraculously reborn it's shocking i don't watch more seth mcfarland shows uh and but every time paul rudd goes on conan he promises to show a clip from his new movie mac from his new movie and instead it's the same clip from mac and me but sometimes with improvements as uh last week's appearance included but seriously, there are like archives, uh, like the people have done like uh, you know clip mo- clip montages of all of these appearances, and they're fascinating to watch for the following reasons: one, to see the differences between how Conan and see see how the, their, their reactions change over the course of the of the of the years passing, and also to remember that Paul Rudd is a wizard, and had looks the same age has looked the same age since the movie clueless which is terrifying and someday we will find out his secret and it it will it will, it will horrify us all it's probably the reason that they did wet hot american summer first day of camp as a prequel because they just looked at paul rudd and were like well he could still he could be younger i mean i don't understand it but it's gonna be funny there was i think a quiz on vulture that was uh can you can you tell which Paul Rudd is younger? And I I started doing it, and I I had to stop because I was so embarrassed by it. I I was getting every single one wrong. There's no way to tell how old Paul Rudd is in any photo he's taken. Has he come out with uh, you know some sort of like men's health article about what he eats and his workout plan, like his general health kind of? Th- I imagine that has to be a big thing. Like somebody, people are curious. They well, wanna- he did. He did. He did the. You know, he, I'm sure he's, he's done comments about his superhero diet because he did play a superhero this weekend that, in Ant Man. Now's the time for it to come out. Yeah. Yes, but he doesn't. He. I mean, aside. I mean, aside from I guess just clean living and you know goat's milk or whatever. Like I, he's never said. Maybe he. Maybe he and Jillian Anderson like hang out together and just suck is suck out the lifeblood of a virgin. Who knows. Well, uh, I mean, if those are the two people who have who found the secret to you know, eternal youth, good. That that I can't think of two more worthy people. So I'm I'm very happy. Yeah, totally on board. So Ben, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Uh, well, I I mean, this is just a I don't have one, Liz. To be honest with you, I I I we've searched through a bunch of different things leading up to this discussion, and and you listen to me moan about not finding anything in particular. Um. The, the next thing that I was looking forward to, I no longer am because I've seen it, and that's un- under embargo, so I'm not going to talk about it. Um, and then after that, it's a little bit of a dead zone for me. We're going to get a lot of screeners for the TCAs, which are coming up uh, at the end of July, so I'm sure there'll be some good stuff in there. But as, as far as it 
you know, what's coming out soon for TV fans that everybody can watch, probably Show Me a Hero, the HBO miniseries from David Simon, uh, is at the top of my list, and that's not until August 16th. So, sorry, folks. I, I mean, keep watching True Detective if you're a masochist, and uh, <laughs> I refuse if you want to figure out ways to have fun with it, because I, I still do enjoy watching that every week, but uh, I can't. I wouldn't necessarily argue that's the next thing I'm dying to watch. So, I mean, what are the odds that Carrie Fukin... Fuc- oh, sorry, I always screw this up. Like, is he just like is Carrie the original director for True Detective season one? Is he just like sitting back and laughing at this point? Uh, probably, especially with how many times Nick Pizzolatto's tried to take a piss on him, like make fun of him and, and degrade him on this shittier second season. That being said, we've talked about True Detective before. I don't hate it like a lot of people do. It definitely has valuable quantities or qualities. But uh, the last episode, episode five, that was going. Yeah, I, I I'm in a similar boat to you though. I feel like I looking for looking at the screeners. There's a you know I've, we 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 have been already getting these screeners because they know that we're getting like we're gonna get like two billion and we need to make decisions and get get caught up on everything. Uh, I will say I'm looking forward the screeners of the screeners I'm looking forward to sitting down with that are stuff that's coming up soon. Hulu has uh, a new show called Difficult People with Billy Eichner and Julie Klausner, and oh, no. it's produced by Amy Poehler. Uh, can't go wrong there. And it seems it doesn't necessarily seem like it'll be the best show on television, but it it's they're two engaging performers having fun and. So looking forward to checking that out. Also looking forward to Show Me a Hero, uh, the mini ser- the HBO miniseries you mentioned. Uh, st- actually, and uh, I'm literally looking at my folder right now. Uh, Stars <laughs> is Flesh and Blood, actually. Uh, it's like a ballet drama from, I believe, one of the a producer who worked on Breaking Bad. Uh, and that, it, it, it's a... a I mean, ballet drama is already one thing I'm kind of sold on, and then there's a lot of other interesting elements to it. It seems like Black Swan, the TV show, and I really liked Black Swan. I thought it was great. So I'm on board already without having seen anything. So lots of stuff to catch up with uh, and lots of stuff to check out for coming up. Uh, But right now, this is the perfect time for you to be catching up with shows that you know, you have missed. Like, you know, check out The Brink if you didn't catch it when it first premiered. HBO Go is there for you, buddy. Yeah, HBO's great. They've got a ton of great shows. I mean, there's a lot to choose from, but if you had to pick one, I think everybody would probably choose The Leftovers. Because <laughs> Cause that's what that's what people want in, the, in, the, in these hot summer months. Yeah, they do. They want to watch a show where Justin Thoreau is a tortured individual trying to figure out how to keep his family together in these trying times and questioning his faith and questioning his own sanity and, and dealing with these mysterious forces. I don't, you know, we should talk about the leftovers more. I don't think I've mentioned it before in this program. <laughs> no, never, never once, never once every time. Uh, <laughs> um, I actually, I wanted two quick shout outs though to summer shows that you should probably, you should, you should definitely look into che- catching up on. If you haven't caught, if, checked out Unreal yet, at least give the first episode a watch. It's great. Um, and I believe uh, Lifetime has made it all available uh, on the internets. There's yeah. also, uh, there's also Mr. Robot, which is another, it's, it's, it, that's, that one's much dark. That's a, that's becoming a very dark, a very dark and very, 
very European, I would say, to use to use a one of those sorts of terms. But it's a weird show, and it may not be for you. But if you have any interest in computers or technology or um, Christian Slater doing stuff, uh, it's great. <laughs> yeah, and 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 also if you don't have interest in Christian Slater doing stuff, it's still probably a good idea to check it out. You know, he's not in a lot of it. He's not, he's a pretty support. He's actually a pretty much a supporting character. Yeah, and really, nobody should have like a problem with Christian Slater. It's just who has a problem with Christian Slater? Do you know someone with a problem with Christian Slater? I, I couldn't name them off the top of my head, but I could probably make an argument that if he was the lead of a show, people might not give it a chance. I mean, you, your argument is supported by at least two or three failed television shows from over the last five years. Two or three failed television shows whose titles I cannot remain, remember. Uh, oh God, Breaking In, that one where he was a spy-like guy, that was a, that was a separate show. Yeah, this is not a good sign yep. for, for, for good old Christian Slater. But, yes, point is, thank you guys so much for listening. As always, if you want to go to, if you want to see what we have to say in our textual word version of talking, uh, we, can, we are found at IndieWire.com talking about, uh, with reviews, features, interviews of all the shows that you need to care about. And you can find Ben on Twitter as well. And you know where you can do that. You can find him at Ben T. Travers. That's true. That's very accurate. And you can find my partner in crime, Liz Miller, on Twitter as well. It's a new service, so hopefully you'll figure it out. But uh, you use the at sign. Yes. And then it's Lizlet. Yes. And uh, it's with an I and an E. So just figure out the order and you'll be good. I mean, if you mix up the order, as previously noted, it, leads, it can lead to use, lead some interesting places. Yeah, I mean, it's really a win-win scenario, so just have some fun. Yeah. And in the meantime, we'll see. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, keep watching television. Mm-hmm.